Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Okay, now I'm embarrassed and nervous. Okay, so I am a little bit nervous, but, you know, I know, like, all of your faces, so thanks for coming to church today, guys, and hanging out with me. Um, I really have enjoyed, I don't know if he went, he just disappeared. I've really enjoyed the last several weeks learning from different people. I feel like every time you read the Bible, like, you can read the same story over and over again, and God's like, wait, pay attention to this this time, pay attention to this this time, and I think that's so valuable, but to hear from other people, like, is, okay, last week, Jenny Mari, is she not like the sweetest person to listen to? It's like listening to her preach is like listening to a warm hug. Like I just loved it. It was like awesome. I loved it. Um, but a lot of us have chosen characters, um, characters, historical characters, Val, out of the um, Old Testament. And she chose someone out of the New Testament, which was so cool. Um, but something that I've really um, kind of picked up from listening to like Stevie and to Paige and Trish and everybody that's preached over the last several weeks is that the people that we are talking about from the Bible, they're kind of like our heroes, right? But they're kind of more than that. They are flawed, like problematic people. Like, you know, Stevie and Jenny were talking about, they're not like this amazing, got it all together people that are awesome all the time. They're absolutely like you guys are awesome, but we are flawed, problematic people, right? Like we have our issues, we have histories, but, and they were that, they are the you and me of the Bible. Um, So I want to encourage you guys, I want to challenge you guys that this week when we learn about some of the things of Esther, I want to challenge you guys to take on um, Esther, be an Esther in your life. Be an Esther in your family and in your community. Um, Esther is one of my most favorite people in the Bible. She's bomb. She's so cool. Um, there's not a whole lot of like female heroines in the Bible, but she's definitely one of those. Um, how many of you guys know the story of Esther? Okay. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of her. Um, but first, we're going to pray. You guys with me on this? If you guys, if I start babbling, will you and someone just come up here and smack me? Because I want to stay on point. Okay. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for this awesome tent we get to meet in. I love the tent, Jesus. Um, I just pray, God, that you would help me to convey your word through this amazing woman of Esther, Jesus. I just pray that your, um, the things you want everyone to hear today would be heard, that you'd give me peace to speak out from you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Esther is back in the Old Testament. Um, she is a Jew. She, um, her story goes, she, her parents have died. She's raised by her uncle. Um, the king at the time is this crazy psycho, like King Xerxes, psycho, totally nuts. He gets mad at his queen one day. He says, hey, come hang out with me. She says, nah, man. And he's like, off with your head, kills his wife. And he's really kind of like bummed out, freaking out. His buddies are like, okay, let's um, get you a bunch of girls and you can pick a new queen. He's like, sure, fine. So they go to everybody. They get all, wrap up all the girls and they go to the palace and when I was practicing this I kept saying castle like we're a Disney princess but I'm gonna try to stick to palace they get all these girls bring them there Esther's one of them she pleases the queen the king he likes her makes her queen years go by and the Xerxes because he's a psycho of course his best friend would be nuts too his best friend's like hey guess what I want to do I want to kill the Jews and King Xerxes is like sounds good to me go for it and so the Haman guy goes out to like set out to kill all the Jews and it ends up that Esther is the one who stops him and saves the fate of a nation so cool right hand, hand for Esther yay she's awesome <laughs> okay so the whole the the whole of what Esther did is amazing yes yeah. 
But it's actually, like, I almost feel like it kind of pales in comparison to the, like, little details. You remember when Val preached about Moses' mom and sister a couple months back? And it was so cool because she picked apart these two, like, kind of what we consider minor characters, um, little tiny things. And when I sat and, like, studied Esther over the last month, little tiny things, huge impact. Okay, so... We're going to start off with Esther being an overcomer, and I chose a verse out of Isaiah, because that makes sense since we're doing um, Esther. Um, but this is why and how Esther was an overcomer. Isaiah 54, 13, all of your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of their children. Okay, so um, let me talk about why Esther needs to be considered an overcomer and why you guys can be too. Esther was orphaned. Both her parents are dead. Wow. Like trauma. Okay. Owie. Her cousin, which is sometimes referred to as uncle, but I do believe it's technically her cousin, um, has adopted her. That's awesome. She has someone who's taken her in. Um, but she's also living in a time when the historical context of being a Jew is that they were kind of talked about and regarded as less than citizens. They weren't really, they weren't liked super great. Um, they were ruled by a by Xerxes and all of his cronies, but they were, um, Jewish people weren't like, Yay, you're Jew, come to the synagogue. No, they practiced quietly at home. Um, they didn't get to go to a church on every corner like we have that option to. Um, then, you know, so she's dealt with being an orphan. And then one day, hey, we're from the palace. Do you have any cute girls? Hey, you over there, we'll take you. And she's like, mind you, she's like maybe 13, 14 years old. That's the age of my daughter right there, okay? So she's been through all this stuff. And then these guys, like, and I'm sure they weren't very nice about it, come and take her. I'm sorry, I would be throwing a freaking tantrum. I would be crying. I'd be losing my marbles, like completely like not having it, right? Anybody? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, she was forced to the palace as like a young girl. And then on top of that, you know, if you, like if I took, let's say I take Abby and you come with me for a month, like you're going to call your mom, you're going to FaceTime your mom, right? No, she wasn't even allowed to directly speak to Mordecai. She couldn't, much less call or FaceTime him, she couldn't even go to the gate and talk to him. She had to send a eunuch to go speak to him. So she was, all of her communication was cut off from everyone she knew, loved, and felt safe by. Yikes. Okay, so when we talk about how she handled that, there's no mention of her losing her marbles, screaming, crying, freaking out at all. Nothing in that Bible. How? <laughs> how? The only um, evidence we have of how she reacted is what is going to be part of my second point. But she was raised to know Jesus. She was raised to trust God. She was raised like she had those secrets tucked down deep in her heart. She knew, okay, God's got me. God's got me. She knew that so deeply as a young kid, as like a 13, 14-year-old girl. She knew that. And her posture was like, this is really scary. This is really scary. Okay, God, okay, God, I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep walking. Okay, God, okay, God. That's how she handled that. I was raised in a traumatic situation as a young child, and I remember praying every night. That was like the one thing I held on to, praying every night the same prayer for six years. Six years is forever when you're like a six-year-old, right? So imagine, you know, and I, I was surrounded by my sisters, my mom. She was surrounded by no one familiar. But she knew in her heart, if you're here today, you are tucking secrets. You're tucking truth down into your heart. You are adding to yourself becoming an overcomer. If you have kids here, um, thank you. For bringing your kids. Oh, my nose. If your kids are here today, you are helping adding to tucking those secrets and those the truths of who God is deep down into their heart so when they experience trial, they can be an overcomer. 
because I've experienced trials. I'm sure you all have too, and I'm sorry, but your kids will as well. But having that, that foundation of Jesus is the best thing you can do for them, okay? How do we know how Esther behaved? Well, she, I'm going to read you three little chunks. Ready? Esther 2, 9 through 10. Um, she gets to the, ca- the castle, the palace, and um, the, ol- the first mention of how she reacts is that, or how she was received is, Haggai liked Hester, Esther, ugh, I can't talk, took a special interest in her, took a special interest in her. Right off, he started her on beauty treatments, ordered her special food, assigned her seven personal maids from the palace, and put her and her maids in the best rooms. 2.15, when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, all these girls that were gathered, they were presented to the king for one night only. And that would be terrifying. I would be terrified. She was literally a child. When it was Esther's turn to go, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, who is the king's eunuch in charge of all of them, she asked for what he recommended to do. What should I bring? She won admiration from everyone that she was around. 2, 17, 18, the king fell in love with Esther far more than any of the other women. He was totally smitten with her. He placed a royal crown on her head. He made her queen instead of Vashti. And then he gave a banquet in her honor. Everyone she was around liked her. Everyone that she was around had a positive, like, aroma they got from her. Um, She maintained a considerate spirit as she went about this process. She befriended people around her. She asked for advice when she navigated encounters. And this was absolutely not an example of her having some special spell. Like we, you read it almost and you're like, oh, everyone just liked her, it was so easy. I'm sure it was not easy. I am sure it was very difficult. I am positive this was her intention, this was her behaving in such a way to warrant this favor. She found favor. She was in an out of control situation Her response was to find favor. Her response was not to complain, whine, cry. This is awful. I hate it. I would probably be like that. But she didn't. She absolutely said, I can whine and complain, or I can make the best of this. There is nothing other than her deliberately positioning herself with every person she was around to gain favor. She got them to like her. She got them to trust her. She was a good person to them. She was deliberate, thoughtful, considerate to make her situation the best it could be. I don't mean to get all existential with you guys, but like the whole point we're here is to like extend Jesus' kingdom. Like we are an extension of him. That's why you're here on earth. If you're like, why am I here? That's why. That's why. (laughs) That's why. And Esther knew that. And she knew I'm going to get absolutely nowhere unless I have people on my team. It's like what Steve was saying, when you raise your hands to worship and you behave in such a way, people around you are gonna pick up on it. She knew that if I gain favor, I can touch others. If you gain favor in your life, you can extend the kingdom of God. You have that power, you have that ability. You can do that if you gain favor. If everyone hates you, nobody's gonna wanna come to your church. (laughs) Nobody is gonna wanna learn about your Jesus, right? Favor is designed to extend the kingdom here on earth. Um, have you ever, well, okay, I'll just tell you what happened to me this week. I was doing laundry, and I grabbed stuff out of the dryer. And I'm like, oh, there's a little red something on this. What did the boys get into? My goodness. The next thing I grab out is this pair of shorts that was miniature in size, and there's red all over it. And I'm like, what is this? It's not silly putty. And, like, I've encountered, like, everything in the wash. I mean, have you? Probably, if you're a parent. And I'm like, gosh, it's all over these shorts. Man. The next thing, I'm like, oh, there's a red on it. There's red on it. Even this morning, he's like, why is there red on this pair of shorts? And I'm like, oh, throw it back in the wash. So I'm like, what in the world? So I 
get everything out and like stain stick some stuff and I go back to grab the original pair of shorts because I'm like, where did it come from? It was really highly concentrated in one specific pair of shorts. So I go, it's on the inside. So I'm like, pull out the pocket and there is nothing other but a Crayola red crayon. <laughs> it's not a big deal if you wash those. It's a big deal if you dry them. Okay, so it was everywhere. That Crayola crayon was all over that one pair of pants, and then it was like in like every piece of clothing had like a dabble. When you extend your favor, you are all over the people right around you. Okay, <laughs> and then you dabble in little people along the way, right? <laughs> so if we can all just be like a red Crayola crayon in the dryer, we can like extend the kingdom. Yeah, you are your red. You are the red Crayola crayon of your family, of your church, of your workplace. Extend your favor. Did you wonder what that was in my notes? Why did you say Crayola in the pants analogy? <laughs> okay, so um, she was a favor finder. Finding favor is never going to like inhibit you doing good things in life. Okay, it's just not. Be people's friends. All right. So um, this part of, I think Stevie kind of stole it. He stole my notes. Um, but I'm going to go into a little more detail of it. So Esther 5, 12 through 14. Okay, do you guys know the verse? When you think of the book of Esther, what is the verse that you guys think of? If someone has it. For such a time as this. Okay, I worked at a Christian bookstore my whole, like, high school, early college, and we had, like, the whole Esther area. It was, like, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. We all know that that is, like, the key verse of the, you know, this isn't a large book in these 10 chapters, but that one verse sticks out. Um, but if you look at the um, little preceding portion of the scripture, you recognize that this wasn't just a situation that happened that she was in that she was forced to do or she just did it because that's how what she was supposed to do. She made a choice, okay? Um, 12 through 14, when Hathach told Mordecai, okay, sorry, a little more context. We are now like four, five, six-ish years later. She's been at the palace, okay? She has been taken from her uncle and she still can't talk to him. Would anybody be a little bit like miffed, like, holding some sort of resentment towards this nasty king that you're queen to, but you still can't talk to your uncle? I would be. I would be like, oh, dang it, I've been queen for how many years? Can I just talk to my uncle? I would be. But she still can't. Okay, so we're so many years later. She sends Hathich to go talk to Mordecai, and then Mordecai, or Hathich comes back and tells her, so it's this never-ending game of telephone they've been doing for years. Esther says, that, or Hathich says um, to Esther, Mordecai sent you this message. This is now, Haman has said we're going to kill all the Jews. And Mordecai's like, oh, this is a big problem. We're Jewish. And he goes to, um, Hathich says, this is what Mordecai says. Mordecai says, don't think that just because you live in the king's palace that you are the queen, that you're the Jew that's going to get out of this. You're Jewish, honey. If you persist in staying silent, help and deliverance will come from some other way. Do you guys want to know why she's an overcomer? Because she was raised like a man like that. Yeah. That guy was like, impending doom is imminent, and I'm not going to believe that God's not going to get this. He knows, like, there's a decree literally going into effect, like, I don't know, tomorrow, the next day, whatever it was, and we're all going to die, but God's got this. Yeah. Like, I want, I want the Mordecai faith. <laughs> like, that's really cool. But he goes, if you don't want to, if you don't want to save us, God will save us some other way. Yeah. But maybe you are supposed to be there for this. Like, think about that, honey. Esther didn't just be like, okay, great, I'll do it. 
Do you guys know why it was a big deal for her to approach the king? Back in this time, this is a historical, like, application of this. Um, the king had his queen, even his queen. No one was allowed to approach the king be like, hi, I have something to say at all. Off with your head, like death sentence if you approach the king. The only, like, way to get around that is if you approach the king and he extends a scepter and you touch it, okay? So she knows that that, that, if she, that what Mordecai's asking her to do is a really big deal. He didn't beg her to do it. He didn't guilt her into it. He didn't, like, say, you're our only hope. No, he presented it to her and was like, look what you can do. And she's thinking it over. It's a really big deal. She could be put to death. She was going to go to King Xerxes and write out, like, out this right-hand goon of his and say, hey, your best friend's a total bozo. Look what he's doing. That's, that'd be scary. Like, I don't want to go to some, he, this guy is crazy. Can you imagine walking up to him and being like, so your best friend, he wants to kill me. You know what I mean? Like, it's scary. So she didn't just say, okay, let's do it and go to the king. Absolutely not. She's a wise, wise person. She thought about it. If I were in her shoes, I would be like, this guy is horrible. He's kept me essentially hostage for my entire, like, you know, how many years, like my teenage years, which would be her early adulthood. I would be hanging on to some resentment. I would be like, no, I don't want to do it. I've gone through enough in my life. No, I don't want to. He's a total jerk. I don't want to go there. I don't want to put myself in this position. Why do I have to save everybody? That's what I would do. <laughs> she didn't place blame. She decided, she decided, I'm going to be who I'm going to be based on who God says I am, despite him. Like, he's a psycho. That doesn't change who I am. He kills people all the time. That doesn't change who I am. He's held me hostage. That doesn't change who God says I am. That doesn't change my reaction, how I'm going to behave. So she recognized she was in an out-of-control situation, and she responded with wisdom and grace. So first thing she does, she tells Hathach, go talk to Mordecai, tell everyone to pray and fast for three days. First thing she does, call on God, help me. I need all that help. And then this is one of those other little tiny things that I don't think about. She goes to um, her maids, like all of like the people around her that were you know, in her harem, her, her maids, and she has them pray and fast, and they do. Do you know what that says about her? There, it's very unlikely that all of those people that were gathered in her direct vicinity that she asked to pray and fast, it's very unlikely they were all Jewish from the start, very unlikely. But through those years of being with Esther, like taking in her favor, gaining her favor, they were like, darn straight, we're going to pray with you. Darn straight, we're going to fast with you. Because when you have, when you gain favor with people, you like red crayon them. And they all, and she did that for years. And maybe that's why this timeline was the way it was so that she could build this army of Jesus loving people, God loving people at the times before Jesus. But you get my point. <laughs> to be there for her, to help her with this. And then she prayed and then she fasted. She didn't run and take action. She sought God first. And then she waited. Okay. So she's smart. She's wise and she's smart. So the king's off, like, doing his thing, and there's a courtyard to where she can, like, have a line of sight. So she just hangs out. She's like, huh. Is he seeing me yet? I don't know how long she walked back and forth, but he eventually is like, hey, is that you? And she caught him on a good day. 
because I was like, Esther, get over here, honey. And he like extends the scepter and she's like, perfect, let me touch that. And he's like, what do you want, girlfriend? I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And if it were me, I would have been so terrified. I would have been like, oh, can you make the Jews not be killed? Thank you very much. Bye. I would absolutely just like blurt out, like, can you just save my people right now? No. And she's smart. She's like, no, she's got to milk it a little bit. So she's like, I would just love to cook you dinner. Can I make you dinner? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And whatever else you want, like how, up to half the kingdom. I'm like, yeah, that too. She's like, how about you and Haman come to dinner? I'm going to cook for you. And he's like, cool. Tomorrow night. Plan. So she cooks him dinner. Way to a man's heart. If you want anything from a guy, make him dinner first. So she, she piques his interest, okay? And the, the rest of the story goes that she shows up to dinner. The situation happens where she explains what's happening. And King, being total crazy person he is, he's like, oh, you dirty dog, off with your head to Haman. And he's gone, and Mordecai takes his place. And that's great, right? But what do we learn from that? That if you go to the king and like, tell him his best friend's an idiot, that everything will be okay? No. <laughs> we learn that choosing your response in life, despite what other people do, says so much more about you. Can I tell you a story? This is the one about my husband. He doesn't know I'm going to tell it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and I don't remember all of the, like, ins and outs of, like, the little things. So I'm going to make up the parts I don't really remember it because it, it, it serves my story. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we bought our property 12 years ago, and then we proceeded to buy a house. And we moved in in that April, so, like, the following year, right? Um, and we have property on one side, and then there's a few houses, but we're, we have, like, an acre and a half. So the big yards. It's not like we're on top of anybody. So the people directly next to us, we hadn't met them yet. So we move in, and at that time, Adeline's two, and Eden's a baby. And, you know, we'd see them out mowing their lawn, and we're like, you know, because I'm friendly. I need everyone to like me. And they would just be like, on their mower. And I'm like, mm, they didn't see me. That's weird. And then I'd be like walking to get the, the uh, mail. And I'm like, ah, like this. And they just were like, and I'm like, gosh, dang, they don't see me. That's so weird. <laughs> so that summer, I, so it's like, you know, we've been there a couple months and there's a, like a uh, farmer's market thing in Kalamah. It's really tiny, but, and I show up and there's, you know, like 20 people cause it's a small area. Um, I show up and I've got Addie in one hand and, and Eden's chubby, cute little baby on a hip. And like, what's more disarming than a cute baby, right? Like, you know, and I walk up to them and I'm like, hi, I'm Jen. I'm your neighbor. I haven't met you yet. And I stick my hand out. And the one gal that, you know, I offered my hand to first, she looks at my hand and goes, huh? And I'm like, oh, well, like, I, this is not how it ever goes for me, you know? And then I look at the other one, and she's like, I'm, this is so-and-so. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, no one took my hand. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. So I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. And I left, and I was so, I was embarrassed, and I was ticked off. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like me? I'm sweet, and I have a baby on my hip. <laughs> it's funny now, but at the time. And I go home to Tyler, and I'm like, these people are mean. They don't like me. I don't know why. Everyone's supposed to like me. So a couple years later, you know, we kind of do some polite to this, but no, like, conversation, nothing. And I'm like, what did I ever do to them? Why? Just tell me. Tell me. Whatever. It's, you do that. So we go to build our studio, okay? So I'm a photographer, and we built a studio next to our house in, like, the side yard. And it's a little bit close to where they had a line of trees. And Tyler's got the excavator out there, and he's excavating out for the studio, and there's underground springs everywhere in Kalamas, so you got to put a lot of drainage around everything. So he's out there digging French drains. And my recollection of the story is that the one more gruff of the two pokes her head around to make sure we're not going to do anything bad to her property. 
because that's kind of how she was at the time. She says, yeah, all these underground springs are killing my tree. And she's got her line of trees and one dead one. And Tyler's like, okay, let me take care of that for you. And this person, these people who had offended me, been not nice to me for no reason, he spends hours digging a French drain, laying a pipe, laying the rock, burying the thing. And then he goes, would you like me to pull that tree out for you? Do you have a new one I can plant for you? Pulls a tree out with the excavator, plants a new one. You know that tree, you can't tell. It's as big as the others now because he solved the problem. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's going to take like four more hours to get this done because doing that for them and they're mean. And he's like, maybe this will fix it. Because he knew, maybe crops brought him. He knew that how we behave and how we respond to people has nothing to do with them. It's everything to do with us. He flexed his ester muscle and said, I'm going to choose. You guys all have ester muscles. Let's use those. He said, I'm going to choose how, who I am to them. I'm going to choose my response. I don't care what happened. I don't care what they said. I see that a lot, like in our world, like everyone's offended. Oh, they offended me. They did that. Oh, I'm mad at them for that. That's a choice. My flesh wants to wait for the person who wronged me to apologize. Do you ever do this with your kids? Sorry if you're not a parent. They say, sorry, and you're like, no, mean it. I mean, as an adult, as an adult, like, don't you think that when someone says sorry, sometimes you're like, but you don't really mean it. You're just saying that to I think that, I'm sorry, I'm human. But really, like, your response needs to be about you. That's what Tyler, like, showed me in that time. Like, our response was about us, who we are, what we say with our situations, despite what everyone else is doing. So they wronged you, so they hurt you, so they disappointed you, so they offended you. If you respond with forgiveness and love before they have any like behavior in the equation, you're being Esther to them. You are showing Jesus to them. It's how you react, how you respond, and then additionally, what you say about what happened to others. <laughs> that says everything about you. You ever had a bad situation where you call your best friend and you're like, guess what? And then so they can hate that person with you. It's not about them. That's about you. Someone offended you? Like, love them? Offer them forgiveness? They don't deserve it? That's, that's on them. But what's on you is how you respond. You will never, ever make a situation worse by loving and forgiving. Ever. That's a blanket statement. It covers everything. You'll never make it worse. Will you guys stand with me? God has called you to be an overcomer. He is there for you to assist you in that. It's not hard, easy without him. It's completely possible with him. When you become that red crayon and permeate those around you, you're extending his kingdom and you're doing your job. God's like, yes, I did right by putting you there. When you respond despite everything else with love and forgiveness, you are fulfilling his work. He hung on that cross despite us denying him.
He knew what we would do. He knew the sins we would commit. He didn't care. So that's why we're called to not care what everyone else is doing and to just respond in love. You guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for putting us here. Thank you for teaching us and showing us forgiveness and love. God, help us to walk that out, God. To ignore what's happened, Jesus, and to move forward and flex our Esther muscle, Jesus. Thank you for Esther and who she was. Thank you for teaching us about her so that we can move forward in extending your kingdom, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.